Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Tyrone here, and we've got a great episode for you from the archives with Jason John Byron. This episode was first aired back in 2017, and I hope you enjoy it. So, then I'm filming this woman on stage, teaching everyone about asset protection and trust and all this type of thing, and I wasn't paying attention. I was just too busy trying to keep up with her. But then, and then the aha moment was when she started bringing students up on stage and said, they said, oh, you know, we, we, this is our job, this is what we do. Then we did this property stuff on the side, and we made an extra $50,000 cash this year out of doing it. And I was like, I just, that was it. I was like, I need to know how to do that. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors, find out more about their stories, mindset and strategy. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode on Property Investory, we're talking to Jason John Byron. He'll share with us how filming a speaker shifted his career from cameraman to property developer and how a personal disaster changed the way he approached life. Within Byron's company, he uses effective time management strategies to get the most out of his day. I call myself a property developer because that's mainly what I'm doing. We never ever actually buy a property and don't do something to it. So I probably started off as a bit of a property investor slash developer, but now pretty much just concentrating full time on developing. We follow a very systemized pattern. So every day we have a meeting in the morning with our team. Um, and it's not a big team because a lot of them are out of sight as well. Uh, but we'll do eight minute meetings in the morning and we'll look at our top operating priorities that we have to get through that week. We break everything down into an epoch. And so that means that this is week 38 or something that we're on. And, uh, and we'll go through what we have to do within that system to get to the goal for that week. So what is an epoch system? A lot of people, we're very much about a system that we run under. And a lot of famous companies out there in the world run under systems. And so it just makes life a lot easier to get that balance. And so, and, and also that communication between different parties. And so if I'm just telling you, you know, I'll meet you on this particular date or this happens within this date, then some people get confused about, oh, where we're actually up to. When you're doing development, there's a time frame. Um, and so an epoch is the first week of the year will be one. So you have 52 weeks in a year. So that's where we go, okay, well, what is the first epoch to the second epoch? So an epoch for us starts on a Monday and ends on, you know, the end of the, um, the last hour of, of that week and then starts again. So that's how we can say where we're up to on epoch 38 or at epoch 35, we've got to have another site, those type of things. It makes life so much easier, especially within a team environment. Something that's kind of been invented out there. It, epochs actually go from the beginning of your birth 
<laughs> like from zero, you know, the first second. So you can you can do it in that way as well. But um, but I, I just found a lot of companies out there were using this type of thing because I've, I've examined some some companies that, that have been very successful on the systems that they use. And I found this was a really easy one to get on board with. Also good for setting goals. Hey, you can say, well, you know, in the next two epochs, I've got to do these four things. You know. Growing up in somewhat an isolated area, Byron had a fun childhood. I grew up in Sydney, um, so pretty much on the northern beaches. So I used to go boating one day or surfing the next day. <laughs> That was pretty much a very remote area, though, because there was no train and the bus took an hour to get into the city. So, yeah, it was very uh, one of those places that you get a lot of, you know, really really fun place to grow up, but uh, never really got that close to the city. So kind of almost felt like I was in the country town and people that live in the northern beaches very down the very far end will know that feeling. During his education, his thirst for learning propelled him into a school that would instill strong discipline. I've always been a bit of an overachiever, so I needed a lot of support my whole life. And so what's happened is that I started off going to local schools down in those areas, but then really didn't get the guidance that I needed for what I wanted out of life, um, especially in education. So about halfway through my high school, my parents realised that you know, the teachers weren't really performing to what I needed, especially in, I was really into computer studies and those type of things and economics. And so um, they put me into a military school. Um, that means that you have military service for, you know, a period of that and you've got to go three days a week to a school in full military outfit. So, um, so but that was, I mean, I, I went there for the computers and the economics teachers and that type of stuff. Um, and it was quite a hard test to get into. But Coming from that military type exercise really taught me to be very diligent and to be problem solving because there's no such thing as problems in the military, it's just a solution. So I think that made a big difference in my life. This gave him the opportunity to enter into the Australian Army. However, when I finished from the, um, from the school in year 12, you know, and they, I was an NCO and so they said, well, you know, you've got pretty much with all what you've been doing there, you pretty much qualified to come into the army so um, I just had to have a think back then and and go oh I think I'm a Christian too so it's a bit like oh look I, I, I totally respect the army and the way that that works in the military and you know I, I love it but um, I just didn't like the aspect of the could I kill someone type of thing that was kind of saying that I kind of had to think about back then and go oh I don't know I was a bit of a moral conflict there so On completing high school, he spent many years in the television industry through his father's connections. However, he was unhappy in his line of work, so Byron began searching for a new path. Well, my dad was in television, so I, um, I became a cameraman when I was about 12 years old, uh, video cameraman, and um, I, I trained probably from about the age of eight because he had big film studios and television studios and that, so um, yeah, but it's, it was kind of something that my dad did and I got really good at because I had a lot of influence around me. Um, and so I kind of went straight into to, to filming and I was also a pretty famous DJ. So in those days too, spinning the record. So that look, both those things, um, I think a lot of people look at the media industries and think it's there's a lot of money in it. And um, 
there's a lot of expenses in it. <laughs> and so it's not really a career that I think I could I could use to make massive amounts of wealth, really. Um, all the people underneath it seem to do all the work. So I was a DJ for about five or six years. Um, then I got serious. I thought, oh, I can't stay out at night and party all my life. So I stopped that and then really heavily got into doing filming and television. Um, and that was 20 years. Yeah, it would have been 20 years, my, my whole period of doing that. Um, I'm in my 40s now. So I changed my career into property about nine, almost 10 years ago now because it was it was a thing where I kind of got really good at being a cameraman and I was very, very good at filming sports and I'd always keep people in frame and I used to do TV shows and other stuff as well. But um, And people admire you when you're a cameraman, you know, like, oh, wow, you're in film television, it sounds great, and they get really excited about it. And I was good at my job. But the only problem was that uh, I didn't love it. And this is a funny thing. Sometimes you confuse with how good you are at something and other external acknowledgement with your internal acknowledgement. So I thought, well, why aren't I happy? God, you know, I'm pretty good at this, and everyone thinks I have a great job. But, um, and, you know, I appreciated having that talent, but at the same time, it just wasn't in my heart, I suppose. Little did Byron know that being a cameraman was what would lead him to shift his career into property. Well, just by coincidence, I um, I had a guy get called Gary, and he calls me up and he goes, "Oh, you know, there's these I, I, I film these people that talk about property, um, and this woman on stage walks back and forth from the stage all the time, and I can't keep up with her, and she keeps going out of shot, and the guys I'm working for are angry at me because it looks really bad, and." He goes, you know, you're the best in the industry for filming football players, so you, you'll be able to keep her in shot. And that's a, the, honestly how it happened. And I said, oh, Gary, I don't really want to film someone, you know, indoors, you know, I'll film sports, mate, you know. And then he told me how much he'd pay me and it was four times the amount of what I got paid just doing internal, you know, doing external sports. So I said, yep, because subcontractor, you chase every buck you can. Um, that's the only way you're going to get wealthy and, and that you know and that type of mindset back then that you just work as many hours get as much as you can because you never know when it's going to dry up or you know you'll get some expenses or something like that so then I'm filming this woman on stage teaching everyone about asset protection and trust and all this type of thing and I wasn't paying attention I was just too busy trying to keep up with her but then <laughs> And then the aha moment was when she started bringing students up on stage and said, they said, oh, you know, we, we, this is our job, this is what we do. Then we did this property stuff on the side and we made an extra $50,000 cash this year out of doing it. And I was like, I just, that was it. I was like, I need to know how to do that. That's like, you know, winning the lotto or scratchy or something like that, which is kind of what probably what I was doing back then. But, you know, how amazing was that? And then it, I just, that was it, went home, spoke to Amy, my partner, and said, you know, this is, I found the <laughs> pot of gold. This is what we're doing now. So, this was his first glimpse into the world of property. As it turned out, there was no previous influence from his parents at all. This is the strangest thing. Like, yeah, Amy's parents and my parents had the one house, had it for years and years and years, tried to pay the thing off. That would have been principal, you know, interest loans. Um, and yeah, we only ever remember being one house for a very long time. Um, and so, you know, they didn't have any real estate stuff. They didn't have any investment properties. Um, 
none of one in our family had ever been you know, on both sides into real estate at all, so there was no influence from it, you know. Byron's journey into property investing started when he considered his true financial position. If we looked at it, you know, where we were at and, you know, I wasn't even bothering doing my taxes every year. I'd kind of put them off and wait a bit long because I knew, you know, I could just like, wait a bit longer to do them next year or something like that. So, because I, I didn't really care about my finances because I wasn't going to be able to get a loan anyway and I wasn't interested in it and that's a really bad place to be where you're just living by your income coming in and just spending it. Um, and I don't even know how I got there, but that's kind of the attitude we just had back then. Um, but not that, so there's a big confusion. There's a huge confusion over property. Number one is financing it, and number two is buying the right deal. And so I think the beauty of seeing that type of education from a, a, a figure's point of view and how do you get loans and how do you set up certain accounting structures and why that was important first before just, you know, you've got to get a property because that's an investment, um, really propelled us into going, hang on a second, yeah, our finances are bad, we have to get that fixed up first. Um, and then we both agreed that, you know, if we could put ourselves in a financial situation where we were good to be able to borrow money, then that would be the first step of us being able to progress into this new stage. And I think that's one thing people have to look at. Um, and this network that I ended up in just had so much support. I was just flabbergasted. From that accounting side, it, they, they never, ever wanted to sell you a property. <laughs> it was different. It was like, let's just teach you all the background behind accounting, and that's what made a difference for both of us. Um, and then we went and did the education. So I kind of hated education. I didn't go to university, so I was like, well, why do I need this? But I realised that education was something that would make me make better decisions, more confidence. And so then we went and did the course and went and did our first property from there. After taking the time to educate himself about property investments, he purchased his first property outside of Sydney. The goal was to find something that would generate positive cash flow. I went to a seminar and there would have been uh, 300 or 400 people there and you sat around tables and you went through all the strategies and then went for all the accounting, which is really great. Both Amy and I are there. And then they show you about different techniques you can use. You can subdivide and then you can renovate. And it was all positive cash flow, which we liked because we didn't want to spend any extra money paying something off. We wanted to have a positive cash flow, so that was good. Um, and then the, the conference finishes after three days. Now, on the fourth day, we're out looking. And then we're, we're using it like a, trying to find that property, our first property, um, we've got, well, I'm starting to talk to my accountant, Amy's starting to have a look, talk to her accountant, all this type of stuff. Our first property was seven hours out of Sydney because um, we could only borrow 100000 because we just weren't structured right financially at that time. We both had jobs that were close to you know 90000 whatever pay, but it doesn't mean that you know, if that money is being put in the right place. Um, or structured yourself, you know, you, you might make, make 100000 you might have 30000 on a credit card. So, you know, and that 30000 doesn't disappear. You've got to then make almost 130000 to pay that off. So, uh, so that was the first thing, structurally get yourself ready um, uh, and then keep looking for that property week after week. Um, but the strangest thing was out of those 300 people in there, I thought that they all left the room and went straight into it. It was really strange. Like now I look back even a year after and I'm like, oh, I met some other people out there and I'm like, oh, haven't you started looking? Oh, no, we haven't. And I'm like, 
oh, but isn't that what we're all meant to do? So it was strange. So, um, yeah, so we, we just left that. And then within six months, we'd, we'd gone seven hours out of Sydney, used some advice from, you know, from what we've been able to find out from what other people were doing investing and then find that positive geared property. We use a, a, a whole lot of different strategies. So we're, even today, it's all about manufactured growth to us. Um, you know, Warren Buffett says, you know, price is what you pay, value is what you get. And so that's always stuck in our head right from the start that whatever we're going to do, we're going to manufacture it. We've got to do something to it and pull out more money than we put in. Um, and so that's where we went. We went straight out, seven hours out, found a property that was on a double block, which means that there's a block of land attached to the house pretty much. And so we renovate the house, subdivide it, have a spare block of land, revalue it, um, bring up some equity in that. That's better manufactured growth. But then to make it even better, we got a house that we could cut in half. Um, and then we put that, cut that house in half and moved it 100 kilometres down the road to where we were. It was only 10 years old. Uh, it was a vinyl clad, which was good for a country area. And um, put it back together, plopped that on that spare block of land. And then we had two rental properties, both positive geared and two houses. Coming up after the break, Byron's property investing journey takes a turn. And that was all in the space of, I don't know, the first nine months. But um, in the, in the, something really bad happened to me. I um, Then how he grew his property investment business after the disaster. We did the same thing again and again, found blocks of land where there was intrinsic value in the house on it and we would subdivide the land and then in this case just build new properties on those spare blocks of land. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. In the midst of all this, disaster struck forcing Byron to approach his property investing goals from a different angle. And that was all in the space of, I don't know, the first nine months. But um, in the, in the, something really bad happened to me. I, um, I went and played paintball and it was kind of like an army version of paintball where you go up and down hills and that type of stuff. So it was a bit more serious than the average one. And I, I twisted my, my leg at a degree where it all shattered. So I was pretty much um, no bone wasn't really a fracture it was kind of shattered the whole of my right leg down from my knee down so that meant that it wasn't just a simple type of put it back together and it would mean it was like well you don't have bone here and there so a rod was put in it and i was disabled for um, a year i wasn't going to be able to put any pressure on it i'd have to learn to walk again because it wasn't a natural bone from the top to the bottom um and that was that was the end of my filming career pretty much um but we'd had that first property right you know so it was like okay well we'd already started there so i was in bed um and i'd have to stay there for at least three months before i could start rehabilitation and so amy put a laptop on my chest and um said well i'm i'll work and maybe try to get some extra money in um and you um you do this property stuff and so yeah, that was that's how it happened. Um, so we, I found more deals then than we could actually possibly buy with our income. So that's when you know we, we put out the JV partners. Um, 
And that's what really has made us quite a success in the industry today, that from the start of it, we were forced not only that we could only get a property for under 100000 but we made that work by being able to create two properties and two positive incomes and have um, now, in, you know, two properties within, you know, one year, which is what most people don't get, um, and then listed the equity up so we had another 70000 equity we could pull out of that, which would be the immediate deposit to be able to put into another buy that we did. But it would still took us, you know, two years to get our borrowing capacity up to where we could afford something. So that we were finding stuff that was around 500000 that we weren't able to borrow into yet. So that's when we got JV partner on board. And we did the same thing again and again. Found blocks of land where there was intrinsic value in the house on it and we would subdivide the land and then, in this case, just build new properties on those spare blocks of land. Being young and naive, Byron undertook the renovations on his first property himself with the aid of a very small paintbrush. The first one, we did the renovations ourselves and we knew nothing. I've got a... People know me as the paintbrush guy because I got up, and yeah, maybe you've heard the story too, but I got up on the roof with a um, with a very small paintbrush. I think it was two centimetres wide because I'd never done it before, but it can't be that hard to paint something because we thought the roof needed painting because it was, it was just red and rusty. We thought it would make a big difference. Probably wouldn't have, but in hindsight now, but it still looks pretty good. But I went down to the local hardware store just the city boy kind of thing and went, where's the paint? There's a the paint. And I said, where's the brush? He goes, points to me, there's a brush. And I just thought, okay, well, there's a the brush. I didn't even look any further. Uh, I'm quite tall, so maybe I didn't see the second row down. I don't know. But I just picked it up and went, well, that's it. You know, what do I know? You know, it's, I suppose it's like shopping for a new car, unless you're knowing about cars, well, you don't know the options. So, um, yeah, we got there and I said, Amy didn't do, do that much renovating either. You know, she was in marketing and design and that type of stuff. So um, we did our best. I got up on the roof and it took me two days to paint the whole roof with a with a two centimeter paintbrush. Yeah, <laughs> that's an amazing story. <laughs> it is. Hey, yeah. <laughs> and when it. when I think about it, you know, I think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that it's a funny story. But it, there's two sides of it. One side is what an idiot. You know, could have used a bigger brush. But the second side of it is you give me something to do and I'll get it done. The renovations on the first property were limited by budget. However, with discipline and hard work, he managed it. But from there on out, he decided to hire other people to complete necessary renovations for him. But we went from, that was a budget, you know, we had five grand, that's it. Um, so we did all the work ourselves. And then from every day, from like, so that place was a, well, it could have been 100 years old, who knows, when we bought it. Um, we did all the work on that ourselves. Seven, you can imagine this, right? Um, you've got a job. Friday night, you, well, Friday straight after work, your girlfriend meets you at your work with all the stuff for the weekend. You drive seven hours to a country town. You you suddenly get there, you know, past midnight. Um, you, you run inside, you, you have some sleep, you wake up at the crack of dawn you start renovating and you know that on Sunday at 5 o'clock you've got to drive back because you've got to start work on Monday. So that happened for seven weeks um, and that was hard. And then the place next door, we hired people. They went to somewhere, they picked it up, they put it there and then we just told them what to do. 
we did a little bit of painting and laid some lawn in that, but the amount of effort, this is what resonates with me today. People like renovating, there's nothing wrong with it, but there is so much effort for, you know, what type of reward sometimes. There's no definite what you're going to get for it at the end of the day. No one can say definitely I'm going to get this amount. And it is a lot of time out of your day and it's a lot of time away from your family, which is I think people kind of don't look at that time and how that affects it. So it was five times the amount of equity increase on the one that we got everyone else to do the work than the one that we did all the work. So from that point forward, we were like, no, we're not, I'm not lifting another brush. I'm going to, if I can make this work where I'm paying someone else to do it and managing them with, with a system and made sure I got it all systemized, then that's what I want to be doing. So any reno that we did from there on, was us management, and that's the secret behind renovation. Don't lift a finger doing it yourself. Just buy the right property that you're going to get enough chunk out of it by doing that, if you're going to do renovation. But at the end of the day, we, we couldn't be bothered doing renovation anymore purely because we've now come very much to the financial side, and that's the time versus effort. And that what we do now is develop property straight from, straight from the ground up, so from the land up, because the amount of time versus reward is so much more and if you're just doing property for wealth and you're not doing it for your ultimate passion to you know of the love of renovating then then why not do that the hardest part of byron's property investing journey was not knowing what he was doing when managing his first property you know that very first property was really hard because it was very cold out in that country town and we didn't know what we we're doing in that and that was the hardest thing. But then when we'd done the other one where we put the other property on the other block of land, um, we kind of figured out our strategy from then on. Um, I suppose, I don't know, we've had, we've had quite good outcomes because we became very system and solution based. So I think you can stuff up very heavily if you put all the reliance on just yourself and don't have a team of people that have already done it before, professionals around you. When we try to do everything ourselves you often fail at it and uh, or you'll learn a whole lot of lessons that you go back and go, well, maybe I should be managing this. You sit in these conferences and you know 10 times more than anyone else out there. So why are you going back and doing the work that everyone else that doesn't know that would could be doing? You know, so I got a carpenter. He's not doing my course. He doesn't know about asset protection, doesn't know how to buy stuff, doesn't know how to get JV partners and doing all that. Why am I doing his job? So I suppose... From then on, you know, but it's been a, I think I've, I've probably been disappointed sometimes that I didn't go hard enough on that property or something like that. But the experience has been good. I've seen a lot of people make mistakes out there. And so I suppose I've been guided by that too, where, where I'm kind of on a thing now where I see people get into certain patterns where, um, where they're t- they, they don't see the value in using teams of other people or just being a bit smarter and, and losing that total emotion behind property and just going back to numbers. Um, yes, yeah, so I can't remember any bad experiences. Maybe it's all been that, you know, that 80-20 rule? Have you heard that before? And I think it also works in 20% of deals aren't going to work out and 80% are. So, you know, from the, from the other angle as well, um, from both sides, like, don't expect that everything's going to go perfect. There will be 20% of what you do that's not going to go perfect, but then it's your ability to be able to problem solve with five different scenarios of how you're going to get out of it 
that will make you so much more powerful in the future. So people get stuck down and, and give up on property if they have the challenges. Um, you know, we've had, I, I suppose the worst thing is when I put in a skylight with a team and it leaked and people came along to inspect that property that day to buy it and they walk into the property and there's a big puddle on the ground. That's probably one of the areas that I've gone, oh, you know, now they're not going to buy it and I felt awful. But look, straight away I've snapped up and said, you know, get these guys out here and just fix it. Water's one thing that you're going to get on every property. Water, water does not like being outside. <laughs> it's like it's like those cockroaches. It wants to be inside your house. And so, yeah, you've got to uh, you're going to have things happen, and sometimes you don't even know why. But you've just got to trust the universe that you're a good person. You're doing this for the right values. As he has become more successful in his property investing ventures. Byron has also made a point of putting money back into the community where it's needed. Like every property we've done, we've been very successful at and so we've been able to pull money out of that, use it for our replacing our income but also help other communities out there around the world that, that have a need to be helped so they're not being helped by anyone else. So I think when we drove from that point of view, of when we started making profit, we said, okay, we're going to take a certain percentage and now let's share that out somewhere else, which is just both of our moral upbringing. It's kind of something that we've thought, well, whatever challenge was we're having, it's happening for a reason because at the end of the day, we always try to do our best by our JV partners and be very fair, which is a big word, and then also... Um, you know, use that wealth for more than just yourself. If, you, if, if you're out, out just to make money out of this real estate game, you're not going to make money. But if you're out to be successful at everything you do in real estate, you will make money. The moment where everything clicked for him was when he discovered a great property and found a strategy which would catapult him to success. When I got into doing property development, that's when we looked at what we, we, we just built two properties in Leichhardt and Sydney, they were duplexes and they were brand new builds right from the bottom up, bought, knocked down the place and built two next to each other. Very expensive build. Uh, one of them actually got uh, bought by Boys Town, which is now called Your Town or something. So it was a lottery one that was so good. And then when we looked at that, Amy and I, maybe we spent about 10% of our time on that property. And the profit was so much more than anything else we've ever done. But it was a smart buy and the right system that we used behind that. And that was our aha moment because we were like, that's it. This is what we're doing now. You know, we're going to find the best mentors we can and we're going to look at, you know, property developers out there because this is so much better um, a way to do it because we, we knew that by the time we'd finished this property, or even, you know, with property now, your pre-sales are good. Um, you can see the profit in there because you're increasing the value of the product. That's where you end up with. You don't start unless you do that. And that was a hell of a lot better than being in this moment before where you might renovate something or you might do something else. And you never quite know what the value of that property is going to be at the end. But when you build something brand new, you're automatically building in a 20% margin of the value it will be worth afterwards because you're manufacturing that. That's when everything changed. Inspired by Jason John Byron's story, 
We'll keep the conversation going in a future episode on property investory. We'll talk about how to apply the strategy. So they have they they run it like a business where it, it, it's a system that that you've got to go through. So that's the same thing that I do now. Hear about his success habits for property investing. Our annual priorities say that we want to get this many developments happening this year, and then we break it down into quarterly goals. Um, into monthly goals, weekly goals and epochs, weekly uh, epochs. And that's next time on a future episode of Property Investory. Also, I would love to hear from you. If you own property and want to share your story, send me an email to hello at propertyinvestory.com. To spell Property Investory, simply type the words Property Investor with the letter Y. Alternatively, you can open the description of this episode in your player and click on the link to contact me. Thanks for listening.